the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Okay, you're not quite awake yet. It's okay. You will be. Because I'm preaching. <laughs> no, because you're, you're in the divine liturgy, that's why. You know, heaven and earth intersect in the divine liturgy. You know that? The rift in, in the veil between heaven and earth gets torn open. And the uncreated energy of God enters into his creation in the divine liturgy every time. That's our source of life, beloved. That's actually, that's what keeps the world alive. Did you know that, the grace of God? God has not separated himself from this world that we live in. And that is something worth rejoicing about. Rejoicing about, even when things get a little depressing at times, when things get a little confusing, we still rejoice. We rejoice in the reality that God has not left the world, but still loves it. I keep finding it necessary more and more lately to tell people when we're processing everything that's going on in our lives, why, how, who should I trust, what should I do? We talk about all those things, but I have to remind often, God loves you. He loves you. He still loves you, even if you're confused. He still loves you, even if you're in disagreement with other people. He still loves you, no matter what's going on in your life. And you need to be reminded of that. Kind of like we need to be, while we're trying to humbly, rationally sometimes work our way through the trials of life, we need to remember, oh yeah, let me invite God to be a part of what's going on. Lord God, even if I think I know what's going on, please, Enter in. Be a, be a part of what's happening here, my Lord. So, wake up and be joyful. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is my strength. Proclaim it. Today, beloved in Christ, you may have noticed the little icon I have over here. Did anyone see it? A little icon with a little man in a tree. A little man up in a sycamore tree. Zacchaeus. Today is the Sunday of Zacchaeus in the Greek and Antiochian tradition. If you're from the Slavic tradition, which I know at least one of you are, it's next week for you. Like, wait, are you playing a trick on me? You know, is it? So, and what, is, what does that mean for us liturgically when we come upon Zacchaeus Sunday? It means something is on the horizon. Great Lent. It means Great Lent is coming in about a month and a half. Another thing to be excited about. Another opportunity to work out our salvation with fear and trembling through the blessed season, the school of repentance that Great Lent is. And we have a beautiful example of repentance today in the Gospel reading in the story of Zacchaeus. Another unlikely character, and I like to remind everyone, if you ever look in the mirror and think, I'm not a very likely character to be, to be holy. I'm not a very likely character to, to be viewed as <clears throat> a good person or a good Christian. <laughs> Go back and read the gospel, and you'll find yourself there everywhere by different names. You'll find yourself there 
in the face of different people. And in today, today's gospel reading, we find ourselves again. I wish I could find myself in this story in the person of Jesus Christ, but I don't have the unconditional love and mercy that he has. Not yet. So I identify more with Zacchaeus, and I think most of us do in many ways. Because he needed Christ. I like to remind often that the orthodox hermeneutic, I like the word hermeneutic, because I studied Bible and theology before I converted to orthodoxy. So we would do hermeneutics, the study of the Bible, and the manner in which we approach the reading of the scripture and the interpretation of it. It's called hermeneutics. And if you do any hermeneutics, one of my college professors used to say, you're a hermeneut. <laughs> it's a funny word, hermeneut. If you weren't humbled enough by God's condescension, by someone calling you a hermeneut, maybe it will <laughs> humble you a little bit. But I love that term, hermeneutics. And uh, what is the orthodox hermeneutic? We do, we do contextual study. We do love the languages. We do understand, seek to understand the, the context from which the historical context and the biblical context from which lessons are taken. But the greater context is, is always uh, the one of the heart. What was being revealed about God's relationship with man and the heart of man and man's response to what's being taught in our hermeneutic as each and every individual reading the Holy Scriptures is to say, how does this apply to me? Especially when he's talking about repentance. <laughs> when he's revealing something that needs to be changed and also when he's revealing once again his unconditional love and forgiveness. His call to repentance is for you, but his unconditional love and mercy is also for you. It's for everyone. It's for me. And we see this in Zacchaeus. We do. I met a guy once at a clergy conference. He was a subdeacon in one of the servers, kind of the head servers in our churches, like subdeacon Ian. And he was, he was about this tall. I mean, he made me look small. And I said, I don't think we've ever met before. Hi, I'm Father Jeremiah. What's your name? And he said, I'm Subdeacon Zacchaeus. And I went, really? And I, and I looked up and he goes, I may, I may not be small in physical, I may not be small in physical stature, but I'm trying to be small in spiritual stature. So beautiful. People don't know what a ministry their little words can be. I remembered it. I don't. It was probably from a couple years ago, and every time I see him, I think about that too. Like, first of all, I think that guy's really tall, and then I remember what he told me. It was beautiful. How can we relate to Zacchaeus? You know, one of the things that that the Holy Tradition does, and I teach the the Inquirers, Catechumens, this a lot when we talk about 
biblical interpretation is that within the tradition, I mean, if you, if you listen to the services of the church, you listen to the manner in which the reflections on Holy Scripture are written, you see a boldness and a creativity in the interpretation of the Scriptures. Not a, not a wooden rigidity, you know, but, but a life to it in the way that, that the Scriptures are interpreted and explicated in the hymns of the church, and those are our primary example. Approaching the Scripture as if it were written for you is the best approach, and within the tradition of the church. And if you understand that the Scriptures came from the church and they were written for you, for your salvation, then you can start to enjoy reading them as something beautiful, and you can reflect on them wonderfully. We can have a little fun with it sometimes. How can we relate to Zacchaeus? How can we? He was small in stature. And we can relate to him because even though he was physically small in stature, like that man that I met, many of us are aware of some of our own insufficiencies, our smallness. Zacchaeus is said to have been a successful man, a rich man, tax collector. You know the tax collectors were like people would spit on them. You know, they were the worst. Like gouging their own people, taking what was not theirs, taking advantage of others. Remember what, who was it? John said to the tax collectors, what should we do? And he said, don't take any more than is owed to you. Tax collectors were known for being thieves. That's why they were rich. Their riches were not on account of their own accomplishment, but their authority that they leveraged. And so he was someone who was seeking success and satisfaction in the world. And by all accounts, I mean, if he could give away half of all of his possessions, as we heard in the Gospel reading, he had a lot of stuff, probably, to give away. And on top of that, what was it, fourfold? Anything he had defrauded, he restored fourfold. So we can relate to him in that, in that little way. And this is a part of the, the brokenness of our condition, is that we seek uh, to, to compensate for what is lacking within ourselves. It's one of the points I want to make today. We seek to compensate what is lacking within ourselves, in worldly ways, and we even do it at the expense of other people. Do you ever seek success to do well, to step up at the expense of another person? Ever? Ever? In any way? Then you can relate, relate to Zacchaeus. I know, I, know I, I can at times. Even in the subtlety of my speech, something I say about someone, to make them look a little worse, make to elevate myself just a little bit more. False humility. And that's pre-conversion Zacchaeus-like behavior. And perhaps we're driven by insecurity. I was thinking about the, what they call the Napoleon syndrome. And then I was thinking, you could also call it the Chihuahua complex. You know? You ever met a Chihuahua? Those things are tiny but totally aggressive. I'm like, you're not as big as you think you are, but 
Anyway, and we act that way, so what a bold confidence we have. Elder Joseph the Hesychast, St. Joseph said something that has really stuck with me. I paraphrase. He says, let us not speak with boldness, meaning self-confidence and ambition toward others, pride and betterness. Let us not speak with boldness to others, lest we be deprived of tears, the tears of repentance that draw us near to God. So maybe we struggle with the Chihuahua complex. Maybe in confession I need to tell you, Chihuahua complex, come on, get over it. All bark and no bite. Chihuahua syndrome. Sometimes we're motivated by curiosity too and we can relate to him in that way. He went ahead, he knew he wasn't tall enough. There's honesty in his curiosity. Is there always honesty in our curiosity? And to what end? Are we curious about the things of men? I accidentally overheard what they were saying in the cubicle next to mine. Accidentally. (laughs) Yeah, right. Not if you were saying the Jesus prayer. (laughs) That's me being a little funny. You know? But we need to be careful about curiosity is good. We were created to grow in our sense of wonder and love for God's creation and even interest in other people, but not at the expense of them. And not at the expense of ourselves. We, all, we often feel compromised when we give into idle or vain curiosity. One thing that we should look at and enjoy and appreciate about Zacchaeus is that he made an effort to see Christ. Effort. He made an effort to see him. I'm always, I always tell people, asceticism is a hard sell. Spiritual struggle, until you get it. <laughs> until you, want, you dis- discover what, what wings come from the glory and grace of the freedom, the, the reappropriation of our freedom to deprive ourselves, to die to ourselves and to become alive in Christ. That spark, he could, he, it's like a little, a little spark in tinder. What happens if you put a little spark in some dry tinder? Whew, flame. Sometimes, sometimes you see a little spark in tinder and you freak out and you put it out. You know what I mean? But, but when that little spark in the tinder of Zacchaeus' soul hit, boom, when he heard that Jesus was coming, he did not put it out. He put all pretense aside and Screwed up that tree to see our Savior, and he made an effort to see Christ, even at the expense of humiliation. Sometimes we're so self conscious and motivated by insecurity that we overact and that we pretend, where we perceived of flaws in ourselves and on a human level in others though I want you to know and I think another just another thing that that we can see in Zacchaeus is that he probably probably had comments about his height his entire life you know how 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 demoralizing is that oh yeah I'm short 
You know what I mean? Or whatever. Or I, I stutter. Oh, yeah, I'm not perfect. Or whatever it may be. I'm big. I'm small. I'm, I want you to know, beloved in Christ, that you're not perfect. Okay? You're not, I mean, to me you are, because I love you so much. But, you're, but you're, not, you're not morally perfect, that's for sure. Neither am I. And it's a strange paradox that God re- allows us to come to the realization of our imperfection so that we may become perfect in Him. What He sees in someone small like Zacchaeus is someone who can be, become great in stature by way of humility. What He sees in you and when you look in the mirror and you say, I'm never going to get through this. I can't. I'm going to be like this the rest of my life. What's wrong with me? Something's wrong with me. What does God see? He doesn't hold you up to a cookie cutter version of some other person. Say, yeah, you're right. You're not like that person. What he sees in you all the more is someone who, whose lack he wants to fulfill. Because his love is perfect, he can fill that which is lacking. That's, what was, that's what's said when, and I'm so thankful, that's what's said by the bishop when he ordains someone to the priesthood. Puts his, that's what ordination means, laying on of hands in Greek. Herotonia, laying on of hands. Laid hands on the head and he says, he starts with, May he who fills that which is lacking. And not only in me, but... He fills that which is lacking in all of us. Glory to God. So if you see something that, was, that is lacking in you, then trust in He who fills that which is lacking. God sees potential for completing His work in you. This relates also to Timothy's, uh, the letter to Timothy. In today's gospel, excuse me, epistle reading. Timothy was young. And what did the Lord say to him? Yeah, you're dumb and young. No, he did not say you're dumb and young. He said, let no one despise your youth. But set the believers an example. I mean, his calling is always to all of us. Follow me. Basically, Don't worry about your age. Just follow me. Follow me. Be an example in speech and conduct, in love and faith, in purity. Attend to the public reading of the scripture, preaching and teaching. Do what I've called you to do. I will fill that which is lacking. I have more notes. This is kind of scary. Okay. Zacchaeus gave over to humility and humiliation. And I want to say that this humility is what allows us to be seen by Christ, not hiding ourselves, but revealing ourselves to Him, unveiling ourselves and becoming vulnerable to Him. He knows our hearts and reigns. We hear in the various prayers, especially those in preparation for Holy Communion. But will we allow ourselves to be known by Him? Will we give our reigns over to Him? 
Or will we be content simply believing in an omniscient God who's more like a scientist or a philosopher who knows everything? Yeah, God knows everything. It's easier to believe in a God who knows everything rather than to give oneself over to being known by that God. God has nothing to prove. He doesn't need to prove his omniscience. He just wants to know you. Will you allow yourself to be known by him? And another beautiful teaching from today's reading. This is kind of where I'll, where I'll conclude and make some, some of my more practical points. Is that he wants to enter into our dwelling. Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm coming to your house today. And Zacchaeus received him joyfully, it says. Joyfully in today's gospel reading. He wants to enter into our dwelling. He who is ever-present, just like he's omniscient, he's ever-present, he won't force himself into our dwelling. He will only enter into the dwelling of those who are willing to receive him. And the church trains us, teaches us, constantly reveals and incarnates this reality to us that he who is ever-present is someone... Who will only be revealed if we give ourselves over to him and acknowledge him. And there's so many ways in which the reality of his presence is given. The reminder of his presence is given to us. The symbol of his presence, meaning the join together of the created with the uncreated, like in the icons. And that's why we put icons in our home. Pointing at the icon of Christ. Because it's a reminder that God is real and that He is present. An icon isn't just a form of religious art. I remember a monk on Manathos being interviewed about iconography once, and they said, do 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 a religious art. And he said, not religious art. It's not art. He's being a little hard on them, but he was making a point. Not art. A witness to the reality that God is real and became man in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why we adorn our homes. And that's why we behave in our homes in a manner befitting of the presence of God. I'm, I'm reminded of the bishop's throne even. Remember what St. Ignatius, that first century Christian? A lot of us didn't like reading this when we were non-denominational people. We found it. Where the bishop is, there Christ is. That's the preservation of the unity of the, the apostolic deposit. The charism passed on by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And that's why even when the bishop isn't here, he is here. That's why this throne, this chair is here. That's the bishop's throne in his presence. He could be here any time. And in fact, symbolically he is. And we're reminded of that. The church is constantly giving us reminders. Let us not blind ourselves to these kinds of things. Icons in our homes. And just like Zacchaeus who brought those into his home and had a gathering of guests, and I'm assuming it wasn't just Jesus, but maybe his family and some others, so we can have such a gathering with such guests in our homes as we put the icon of Christ in the prominent place, surrounded by his saints on our walls. This passage of the gospel always causes me to question, is my home a place in which common prayer is familiar or foreign? Is, is my home a place that's familiar to prayer or foreign to prayer? 
Is it a place in which I can pick up the gospel and those around me will draw near? Or will they be surprised? What are you doing? Read the Bible together? It reminds me of a little story. Very short story. A man said to his wife once, Honey, will you grab my book for me? And without even skipping a beat, she went and grabbed the Bible and brought it to him. She knew exactly what he was talking about. Perhaps it's time for us to hone our in-home priorities, a part of our ongoing repentance. If it feels awkward to bring out the Bible and read the scripture together, that's okay. You've got to start somewhere. Break the ice, as they say, you know. It can even start tonight. <laughs> it should. If prayer and scripture reading together is atypical in your home, like, like having Jesus in the home was not typical for Zacchaeus until that day, it's possible to make a quick change. Jesus didn't say, I'm coming to your house during Great Lent. Think about it and get ready. Or, I'm coming to your house in a week. Start saying your prayers so that you look like you know what you're doing when I arrive. Coming to your house today. And he received him joyfully. Jesus entered into the awkwardness of the moment with this very unlikely figure who put all pretense aside to receive God into his home. Jesus entered into the life of this sinner despite the, the scandal caused by his action. And Zacchaeus received Jesus into his home even though he, was, he would have been the, one of the last ones in society to be given priority. We know that our home should be a place of prayer. What happens in the walls of our homes and the hierarchy of priorities reveals a lot about who we are. I would love for it to be known that if any one of us were to ask a family member to grab my book, for example, that it would be for the handing over of the scriptures. Or for someone to say aloud, it's time to their family, and for everyone to know it's time for prayer. And I'm not just talking about superficial piety. I'm talking about really just cultivating the love of God in our lives and allowing it to be normal, not exceptional, just normal. It's time to spend time together, inviting and receiving God into our homes. Just like our physical homes should be places of familiarity with prayer, so should the house which is the self. The temple should be a place, this temple should be a place where the recollection of, recollection of God's saving work constantly takes place. Where curiosity about Jesus, even interest in him, is a constant preoccupation. Lips which call upon him, eyes constantly looking for him, arms and legs scrambling as up a tree to get a glimpse of what he's up to. And as we make our journey toward Great Lent, we must recall this moment. The church gives us this moment to remember that time in which Jesus made a fool of himself by showing his love to one that had lived in shame, whom the world had shamed and written off as shameful. Perhaps you can relate to Zacchaeus again. It's important to remember that our spiritual endeavor is not in order to prove our holiness. Remember that. Not to prove our holiness, but to be constantly surprised by the redemptive love of Jesus. To desire to receive it. And to desire also that others 
Even the worst of others would receive the redemptive love of Jesus as well. No one in their right mind would have desired anything but pain and suffering for a man such as Zacchaeus. But the Lord entered into his home to bring salvation there. And the tree we have to climb maybe is simply the one of standing upright from our sedentary laziness to see Christ gazing at us through his eyes depicted in the holy icon and feasting with us by receiving our meager hospitality. Remember that he has no need. He's not subject to necessity. He dines with us, you know, dines with us as we seek communion with him in prayer. And the blessed feast that is the regular reading of the gospel in our lives is one that he joins us at. So beloved in Christ, this is where we end for today, for today's lesson. I pray, let us seek he who is constantly longing to find us. Let us seek the one who is constantly seeking us. Let us stand aright together in our churches, in our homes, and allow the saving God of work to take place, that it might be fulfilled in each of us, revealed through us as healing for the broken and hope for the world, that today salvation has come into this house, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Amen.